There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. This is your friendly neighborhood pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. <clears throat> I'm coming at you from the cross street of I need a throat lozenge and I need a fever reducer. Well, after five whole days of stocking stuffers, we decided we would give you one final Christmas gift and let you unwrap from under the tree. Here we are with a Christmas journal club. Yay! All right. You guys, you guys must have been so nice. Seriously. I don't know how many people St. Nick treats like this. You guys are some exceptional folks. Thank you so much for listening. It's true. Dr. Santosh and I made a list, but, you know, then we had a lot to do, so we didn't really check it all that often, and we just gave you all the gifts anyway. <laughs> just everyone got all the gifts. Just take it. Run while you can, people. Run away with the gifts. <laughs> but I'm glad – well, I'm not glad that you're sick, Santosh, but no, I'm glad no, that you brought up that you had a cold because it does yes. relate to the first journal article I want to cover, which came up in New Scientist. and. It turns out that the cold was so bad that it even delayed the flu. <laughs> so with the cold here, uh, we're talking about the common cold, right? Sniffles and coughing, no fever, because that's an that's a upper respiratory infection, not a cold. Um, so you're, you're talking about one of those colds, not like burr the cold. Right. And... Yeah. The winter flu is currently just starting to make its trip over to the UK because so many people had colds this year that they didn't get out in enough to socialize and get the flu. 
Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine, uh, actually, and, and England's a great example of this. They actually take good care of their workers. They say, if you're sick, please don't come in here and spread it to everybody. Please stay at home and recover. So everyone stayed home. They recovered, which means they didn't intermingle their saliva and their snots and their coughing. And they just they kept each other safe from the flu that was coming up. So the flu spread, but not as fast as it would if everyone was kind of in close contact with each other at the office and whatnot. So flu is in, is infamous for its occasional deadly pandemics, such as swine flu or the Spanish flu, and it does. Which was not actually from Spain. Go back and listen to one of our old episodes. It's true. And it does tend to be a pretty big killer even still, taking out around 650,000 people with respiratory disease each year, and not to mention however many people end up with complications following it. So this year's flu seems to be dominated once again by those HN families. And in the UK, uh, specifically Britain and Australia, they had the severe virus H3N2 against which the flu vaccine we released was largely ineffective. That's not one of the ones that was designed to target this year. Right. So making the flu vaccine is a tough process. There's a huge network of laboratories and they actually start all the way at, in the summer, when it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere, it's winter in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia. So you start off with laboratories all across the Southern Hemisphere gathering data. When it starts to come around in the winter months for the Northern Hemisphere, they take the data from the Southern Hemisphere strains and they put it together with what they've seen so far, and they manufacture the vaccine. So if you don't include the right strains, your chances of getting protection from the vaccine, unfortunately, go down. I just found it very funny that even the flu got late this year because of colds. So <laughs> we have covered the flu on numerous other episodes, and it does tend to be a recurring theme for us every winter, which makes sense because that is when it tends to come back. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot of good theories about it, but generally speaking, uh, you know, we, we did go through a time, Josh, if you remember, where we always told people, hey, that, what your mom said was wrong. Colds don't give you colds. And then it turns out when it's cold outside, our immune systems aren't as good as they should be. And they're, they're droplets that hang in the air a little bit longer than they should, like little vapor droplets that contain the virus. And, you know, so the, the colds and flus tend to propagate better during those cold winter months. Yeah. So all we can tell you is as a result of this first journal article, please remember if you haven't already gotten your flu shot, it is not too late. And, you know, wear a scarf or a coat or bundle up out there. We want you to be safe. Absolutely. And always remember your hand washing and stay home when you're sick. You know, grab a sick day. Let's stick around Down Under and cover briefly the next journal article. Now, it is not technically Christmassy themed, but as I was reading up on how the cold got delayed in the UK, the immediate article underneath it made me think of one of my other favorite Christmas songs. No, not Baby It's Cold Outside, but equally dark if you think about it, which is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. You know, it somehow became a super popular song way back in when, when you had all these jazz standards of, of 
Christmas that we all know and love today in the United States. Uh, it is pre- it's pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't treat our old people very well. No, no. So of course, when I saw a headline "Booby Trapped Obstacle Course for Older People," <laughs> I thought to myself, "I'm intrigued." <laughs> Where is this going? And Go on. <laughs> and I had started to tell you about this, Santosh, and, yeah. and you already knew about it. You said, oh, yeah, we've made a whole bunch of booby-trapped obstacle courses for the elderly. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. That's not true. So I, uh, I'm currently undergoing a little bit of physical therapy for, my, for a bum shoulder. And, you know, our, our PT group here is great. But I, I wanted to read up on some stuff. And... You know, you're you're doing stuff like strength and coordination, and you're you know these are things that are they're difficult enough to build up. But how do you actually rehab like reaction time? <laughs> well, you know th- that kind of mental and physical readiness for anything. It lo- it sounds like physical therapists and physiatrists are actually thinking about this problem. Yeah, so about a third of people over the age of 65 fall every year, usually a result of poor eyesight, weak muscles, medication. There's a lot of reasons. In fact, it's so common that I'm sure you've heard the running joke that when somebody falls, the first thing they go to is, you know, oh, I broke a hip or I've fallen and I can't get up. Like it's made its sure. way into burger commercials. This is how prevalent <laughs> Yeah, which is, uh, I don't know if that's good. <laughs> and a quarter a quarter of adults aged 70 or older who do fall over and fracture their hip tends to die within a year. That is a huge number. One-fourth, 25% of every old person who falls. So every four old people who fall, one of them is going to die within the year. The only other odds that are like that good for death, and that's being an astronaut. And that's a much smaller sample size because everybody gets old, but not everybody gets yeah. to be an astronaut. <laughs> that's true. That's true. No, it is. It's really scary because there are some things we know about the fall. You know, like the the person in question has a fracture or they injure internal organs or something like that. But there are even if you scan someone and they look perfectly well, um, there's probably insidious things happening in terms of bone and body repair that a younger person would be able to recover from than an older person doesn't. In Sydney, Australia, where, and I've been waiting all day to use this pun, they train down under to help people from going down yeah. under. <laughs> At the Neuroscience Research Lab in and the Falls Prevention Lab in Sydney, Australia, there is an obstacle course that has been designed to make seniors fall over and then instinctively learn how not to. Now, this does not mean that they just, you know, get a little old lady with a walker and shove her over. In fact, they put people in a harness, almost like you would go to for bungee jumping. And then they have them walk along a floor that has tiles like you might see in a video game or our favorite children's game, The Floor is Lava. And oh, that is awesome. And some of these tiles are set on springboards. So the old people's job is simply to walk from one end of this walkway to the other, not knowing which one of the tiles is going to suddenly spring up like an Indiana Jones booby trap and <laughs> and send them tumbling. But if they... Oh, God. Right? You see how much fun this is? Oh, my God. 
But if they do start to fall, they're already in a harness and they are prevented from actually going over. And this is to teach them how to quickly readjust their center of gravity and prevent a lot of those falls. And this is something that we all do when we're a bit younger. These are skills that you can train at any age. Your brain basically has to have a, a little shortcut, you know, that goes from the sensation in your feet that says, hey, there's something missing here. So pressure sensors and position sensors, those neurons are going to go up to your spinal cord and they're going to elicit a response in the leg to either straighten or contract based on you know, where you have to go in order to maintain yourself to be upright. Well, if those reflexes have kind of, well, atrophied because you're not used to using them, you're not a skier, you're not a jumper, you're not, a, you're not ritually avoiding stuff on purpose. That particular skill, like muscle memory, although I don't really like that term, it just gets worse. So it can be trained again just the same way that you would train strength or speed. I would tell you not to try this at home, but I really want to see what kind of booby traps you guys can build and obstacle courses for old people. So I'll tell you, go ahead and try it at home, but don't try it on your grandparents. <laughs> Please don't. There's a lot of trouble taken not only to put these elderly people in harnesses and make sure they don't actually fall, but the therapists that help them are very well trained to actually tell them how to correct and how to get better. So not just... <laughs> Look what happened. But actually examine their reflex to the loss of control and correct bad habits so that the next time they use the proper muscles and movements in order to not fall down or to fall down safely. Now, in case you were thinking to yourself, wow, Australia, that's really progressive, pushing people over in real time. Well, guess what? They're also in the balance rehabilitation unit at a different hospital, making old people fall over virtually by wearing, <laughs> by wearing VR goggles. So they might be sitting down, but they're falling in virtual reality. And they're using that for balance training, and then they receive the usual fall prevention care. And this is a study that is taking place at the Fall and Fractures Clinic in Penrith, uh, Nepean Hospital in Penrith, Australia. So they are really just seizing on to that, knocking elderly people over in whatever means they can find. And it's very important that they do this because if you think of another Christmas classic, Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, we all know that a fall <laughs> right. can be fatal. And if you murder Santa Claus, you get to take his place. That's true. As soon as they get this protocol down and it's all proven and everything, we have to get this up to the North Pole I mean, we're going through Santa's, you know, like Ritz crackers at a cocktail party. Yeah, I'm so glad that you finished that sentence, get this study up to the North Pole and not get up to the North Pole to murder Santa because... No, no. <laughs> oh, is that where you thought That's where it going? sounded like you were going. Oh, you're jolly and all, but I don't know if you really want to be yes. cursed with immortality and a, no, and a no. small labor force in this day and age. <laughs> That sounds like a human resources lawsuit just waiting to happen. Right? Like, it's, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. This is not. We're kosher. losing We're losing <laughs> all our holiday heroes. I mean, yeah. for goodness sake, do you yeah. remember the last words of Frosty the Snowman? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, can I, but he waved goodbye saying, don't you cry. 
I'll be back again someday. And then, but the outro is thumpity thump thump thumpity thump. Look at Frosty Go. Is that well, what I was going to give you a choice between I'll be back again someday. I'm sure. melting, melting. <laughs> or I swear, officer, I never force them to touch my snowballs. <laughs> oh, oh, I Santa. mean, he heard him holler, stop. I don't think you can like Kevin Spacey yourself out of this one either. I can't harass anybody. I'm just a snowman. Before we get on to our next journal article and talk about two other holiday conditions that come up that we weren't able to cover in our stocking stuffers. Now, one of them is another Christmas tree syndrome. Santosh, we've talked about a couple Christmas tree syndromes or Christmas-related syndromes over the week, but do you know the biggest disease you have to worry about getting from your Christmas tree? <laughs> is this going to be a pun? Is this going to be like Dutch Elm syndrome or something like that? It's it's tinselitis. Because <laughs> 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 your tinsels can't handle it. No, awesome. but, but seriously, it. folks, your tinsel. The the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology does actually warn against Christmas tree syndrome by asking. Does your Christmas tree make you sneeze, cause shortness of breath? Does the delightful scent of pine send you scrambling for the hills? Well, it is unlikely that you are allergic to the tree itself, but the fragrance can be irritating. And unfortunately, some trees can be home to very microscopic mold spores that do trigger asthma, allergies, and hay fever that cause symptoms like sneezing or an itchy nose. That may be why some of you who live in the warmer climes can walk into your house and all of a sudden feel your nose start running and get a little bit of a sinus headache. You're saying they're not actually allergic to the pollen or the pine needles the way that you would would be with kind of a typical type one allergic reaction, which is what it's called, you know, seasonal allergies and whatnot. Um, but they are allergic to a different component that kind of comes along for the ride. Correct. And interestingly enough, the same allergy and immunology society also relays what I, they dub a Thanksgiving effect that some people, when they leave their pet behinds traveling for the holidays, they can experience a little bit of a flare up of allergy or asthma symptoms on the return home. And that occurs when right. they lose tolerance to their own pet's dander after being away for an extended period. And we're not quite sure why that happens so fast. Immunologic tolerance is usually a fairly slow phenomenon where you know, you're getting used to it and used to it. And so likewise, losing that tolerance, you know, your body all of a sudden cares that there's pet dander in your nose happening that fast. Yeah. So the symptoms of the so-called Christmas tree syndrome are basically very similar to hay fever. So itchy nose, watery eyes, wheezing, coughing, insomnia. A general hatred <laughs> for Christmas music. Get that fire trap out of my house. State University of New York ended up analyzing pine needles and bark from 28 different Christmas trees, and they found 53 cases of mold that released spores that can trigger allergic reactions. So when this mold is naturally occurring, or because the mold is naturally occurring, bringing the tree inside creates the perfect conditions for it to grow. And after only two weeks of a tree being on display, the number of airborne mold spores increased from 800 per 35 cubic feet to 5,000. Whoa! Yeah, and artificial enough. trees are not blameless here either. If you've stored your tree since last year, it can also get a layer of dust that's dispersed when it's disturbed. So... How do you combat Christmas tree syndrome? It's not by being a bah humbug. Aww. 
I was going to say, get that spider-laden tr- uh, fire trap out of my house. <laughs> it is. If you know you tend to be sensitive, take extra care when decorating the tree or getting somebody else to do it as allergens do get disturbed. Put up being, Putting your tree up as late as possible, uh, meaning closer to Christmas, will help minimize the risk as an air purifier may also help by filtering out some of that mold that's circling around. Giving the tree a good thump against the floor to shake loose as many pine needles before bringing it inside or giving it or giving it a light spray or misting a quick hose down, if you will, before bringing it outside also can clear up some of that dander. Okay, that's pretty good. The side of thee at Christmas time brings snot to nose and red. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. <laughs> you know, that was always one of my favorite stand-up bits. I, I forget the comedian who went into it, but they were going over different carols. And he said, you know, O Christmas Tree, which is a German carol, it, it originally O Tannenbaum, yeah, is, it is an entire song dedicated to praising a tree for being efficient and doing its job properly. <laughs> you have done... Your job, well, and we will now chop you up for firewood to continue working. <laughs> you will be replaced next year. So, <laughs> we love you guys. We seriously, German and your, people, we love your song. and your efficient, hardworking and, uh, trees. We, we really do, and I personally love your uh, uh, just kooky <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> if there's one thing that we know about decorating during the holidays, it's Christmas trees and Hanukkah bushes menorahs and festivus poles but above all it is the food every single holiday no matter what it is usually has some sort of food associated with it i guess unless you're jewish in which case the food of choice is fasting so sorry guys sit down and nosh a little bit after you're done with your uh, i believe in judaism it goes oh look a holiday let's not eat (laughs) i love i love my jewish friends i really do But I just thought, oh, what's this holiday about? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Offering. Ha ha. Surprise twist. And when we do eat, let's eat the nastiest stuff we can find. <laughs> Will it be cold and uncooked? <laughs> Josh, Josh. But have we talked about... Jewish you know, I don't believe we have. And before we start getting those angry letters, why don't you tell me what exactly that is? So dwarf fish tapeworm uh, lives in 
your very, very favorite gefilte fish. As we know, you know, this is uh, very commonly served on high holy days. It's kosher. So this little tapeworm... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, if we're going to mispronounce something, I'm going to do it. Diphilobothriasis. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, it sounds like phyllo dough. Di- yeah, yeah. Diphilobothrium. And the most common species is Diphilobothrium latum. And this is a parasite of fish. Uh, it's, it's, it's an incidental parasite of humans, but... It mostly parasitizes fish. You'll eat it in, uh, you know, some undercooked fish or something like that. And then uh, it can last for decades. <laughs> it can last absolutely You know, forever. kind of like... Yes, exactly. exactly. Oh, I ate that fish without mom's permission. What's going to happen? Please, God, give me a tapeworm. This particular tapeworm, Josh, you may remember, this is in the differential diagnosis of megaloblastic anemia, or when your red blood cells, when you look at them under a, uh, a slide, if you're anemic, the red blood cells are bigger than they ought to be. And that's a sign of vitamin B12 deficiency. The reason for that is the little worm likes to eat your B12. You try to supplement them with vitamin B12, the B12 still doesn't go up. Well, one of the things you ask is, do you guys eat a raw fish? Or if it's a Jewish housewife, because she'll say, no, no, I cook everything I eat, you'll ask her, the reason it's called Jewish housewife's disease, is, ma'am, do you taste the fish uncooked before you cook it? And she'll say, yes, of course I do, before I prepare a meal for my kids and my, and my husband. And that is why it's called Jewish housewife, because nobody else in the family will have it except the housewife. Now, tasting. for those of you who are unfamiliar with gefilte fish or don't have a lot of Jewish friends, it is a mushed up ball of, of all different <laughs> kinds of fish that basically provides an excuse to eat huge just gobs of horseradish. And if you're trying to picture this, I want you to imagine your best movie guy voiceover. All she wanted for Passover was to impress her mother-in-law with homemade gefilte fish. She didn't ask for the uninvited guest in her belly. Eight days of suffering. (laughs) Yes, it can affect absolutely anybody. You don't have to be a Jewish housewife to get this disease, but... It's a, uh, it's kind of a classic presentation. Let's drift away from religion for just a moment and keep to the holidays. Come sail away. When we're talking about food in the holidays, we at the hospital, or at least those of us who take call, are privy to a secret that I'm going to share with you now. If you have to take <laughs> call and you are not working in the emergency room, you want to take call on Christmas. You might be thinking to yourself, well, that's ridiculous. I want to spend that day with my family and friends. No, you want to spend that day in the hospital because that's the quiet day. Immediately following, you will get a wave (laughs) (laughs) of patients coming in and at least, and this is an anecdotal experience, but at least half of them will be suffering from something we affectionately refer to around the hospital as holiday heart. (laughs) And sounds very cheerful and beautiful. Oh, you know, the Grinch's holiday heart grew. That sounds like a genital condition. Yeah, yeah, that's that's hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. (laughs) No wonder he was so upset. The (laughs) police were just ignoring this man with a terrible medical condition. He needed care. 
<laughs> he was just sitting there like heart failure and he's like guys all i want he's like last christmas i gave you my heart <laughs> and the very next day you let me keep suffering yeah. <laughs> just kept growing and growing and Do you still recall what holiday heart is uh yeah this is something that the er physicians would talk about i have never actually seen a case myself but I I remember that, you know, they'd say, hey, you know, that person's got a regular heartbeat that he's never had before. Check out if they have holiday heart. And Holiday heart is kind of a broad encompassing term. We use it in a vague general sense to refer to any kind of heart failure following a holiday, mostly because people who have existing heart failure and are supposed to regulate their diet, usually you're not, and they will eat a lot of <laughs> they'll it's eat Christmas. a lot of things that are salty or sweet diabetics can get holiday heart diabetics get a lot of holiday heart um alcoholics get holiday heart even moderate drinkers because specifically the definition of holiday heart syndrome is an irregular heartbeat pattern present in individuals who are otherwise healthy now that otherwise healthy is a fast and loose term in today's medical world but the fast and irregular heartbeat can basically cause your heart to act like a little drummer boy out of rhythm. And then that abnormal heartbeat can lead to a little bit of flash pulmonary edema or a buildup of fluid in your lungs where fluid should not be. And that can make you short of breath, lethargic, and all the other symptoms we see with heart failure. So this holiday heart syndrome can be the result of stress, dehydration, salt imbalance, drinking alcohol. It is often, but not always, associated with binge drinking common during the holiday season. And atrial fibrillation itself is the most common arrhythmia in holiday heart syndrome, but any kind of irregular heartbeat that is caused by holiday-related celebrating is given this sort of title. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a, a true diagnosis in terms of what's wrong, but it's just like you said, Josh, it's a catch-all. Now, you, I, I was super, super lucky that we really don't see this in pediatrics um, because generally speaking, if the kid is too young to know better, uh, they're just going to get their medications and their diet as they're supposed to because a good mom or dad will just, you know, take care of them. Although you have the occasional mom and dad, <laughs> like, you wanted to try gin for the first time, and I thought it would be safe if you did it at home with my supervision. Um, but your kid has this metabolic disease where they drink alcohol. They yeah, but it's Christmas. <laughs> I'm telling you, I didn't, I didn't see much holiday art, but I saw a few holiday diabetic comas, I'll tell you. <laughs> so I know because my own patients ignore me when I tell them this. Enjoy your holidays with moderation. Do not overindulge uh -huh. in the sweets. Do not overindulge in the salts. Do not overindulge in the alcohol. <laughs> and hey, guys, if you're unsure about what to do, you know, if you're visiting someplace exotic or different or you're going to be eating different foods that you don't know, for instance, you might be going over to your Jewish in-law's wife and eat gefilte fish for the very first time. <laughs> and then come on in, talk to us. We would love to see you 
and uh, give you a little bit of counseling on what to do and what not to do this day. Now, before we move on to our last story, I do want to issue a brief correction. A few episodes back when we were discussing medicines of the Oregon Trail, we all had a jolly good laugh about how one of the main analgesic medicines or pain relieving medicines available at the time was lettuce. <laughs> I, I remember you said that. I think I was a little Yeah, and uh, as I said, we all had a wonderful laugh of how could anybody be so foolish as to think that lettuce would cause anybody any kind of pain relief. And one of our one of our listeners actually took the time uh, to point out and I I do want to thank him. And so special thanks to Joe who not only pointed out to me that wild lettuce has a white milky sap that people could collect and roll in their hands extensively to make a black tar ball that has opium properties. But he even linked me to a source that provided an explanation so I could continue the research on my own. So we always ask for your comments, questions, and feedback. We do read them. So for those of you, I still think it is hilarious to use lettuce as a property, but <laughs> it was scientifically backed for the time. And he is correct in that there are many, many herbal medications that do have a wide variety of uses we haven't studied. And that's really the big problem is we have not had a chance to study and prove or disprove them. So thank you, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, Joe, that was really, really awesome. And guys, you know, as much as we love talking to you, we love to be corrected and we love to hear. Now, let's move on to the final study. And I had to pull one more out of the British Medical Journal's holiday edition. The title of the study alone ought to tell it to you before we go into it. Dispelling the nice or naughty myth, a retrospective observational study of Santa Claus. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I mean, usually you don't do a retrospective. Well, Santa's more than just a man. Much like Batman, he's a symbol. (laughs) Are are we going to try to talk about like the, uh, you know, the Bruce Wayne of Santas versus like the Dick Graysons or the the, uh, Tim Drakes? The researchers from the British Medical Journal set aside and in their abstract, their objective was to determine what factors truly influence whether Santa Claus will visit children in hospitals on Christmas Day. So we know that he knows when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. And I mean, in this case, because you're hooked up. Well, sure, you could have Santa in the telemetry (laughs) unit. That's fine, too. How is he going to know if you've been bad or good? Like, where's the incentive to hospital kids to be good for goodness's sake? Oh, uh, that's fair. You're right, because most kids, you know, you're going to feel bad for them. And and you're not going to be that like shitty guy who's like, oh, you know, little Timmy threw a tantrum. The little kid in 3A with the cancer. Uh, No presents for him this year. (laughs) (laughs) So Santa's Little Helpers included 186 members of staff who worked on various pediatric wards during Christmas in 2015. And this was all throughout England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales. And the the outcome was to look for the presence or absence of Santa Claus, judged by whether or not he visited or left gifts on a pediatric ward. This was correlated with rates of the absenteeism from primary school, 
conviction rate conviction rates in young people okay. aged 10 to 17 years distance from the hospital population. to okay. the north pole as measured in kilometers as the reindeer flies <laughs> and contextual oh, okay. socioeconomic class and deprivation oh that's beautiful okay so wh- whether right. they were rich or poor so and it's long been thought that santa claus visits children based on whether or not they've been naughty or nice i mean it's right there in the song Santa Claus is coming to town. But these these researchers felt that no empirical evidence exists to support this assertion of Santa Claus as our moral judge. Perhaps the jury and executioner, but that's only... So, I love it. These these researchers chose to study pediatric hospital wards because sick children are the most deserving of a visit from Santa Claus at Christmas. Of course. So, before, because auditing departments and most hospital departments close over Christmas, hospitals hold no official records on visits by Santa Claus. So, these researchers telephoned every single hospital with a pediatric ward and asked the staff to identify someone who worked on Christmas Day and could attest to a visit by Santa Claus. The name and position of the witness was recorded, as well as whether or not they said Santa had visited. And they also collected a few uh, data on other people who came by, including presumably parents, doctors, and other staff. Of course, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, it gets a little muddled if one of the doctors is Santa. Right. So values were assigned to each hospital based on every single one of these. Then a whole bunch of really boring math and statistics took place. Important math and statistics. But unless you really go in for that sort of thing, and here's a hint, I don't. Yeah. Learn your stats, kids. And, Don't be like and here, and I do want to say this is we're talking about an observational study. There was no control group, no patients were involved in setting the research question or outcome measures. They didn't take a group of kids and tell them Santa's definitely not coming to visit you. <laughs> you know, like a bastard, like a so horrible bastard. All of the pediatric wards in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, were visited by Santa Claus. That was the most most successful coverage Yay! of visit. Scotland got second place with 93% coverage. Wales came third with 92%. Oh, man. Wow. The, the true blue, like, English. The rest not, of England, not, uh, the lowest was, uh, actually, the lowest was 50%. But most of the rest were in the oh. high 80s. I'm not going to point fingers, but Northeast London, I'm looking at you. <laughs> And so the low proportion of pediatric wards in Northeast London and Northwest London at 70% point to the need for urgent corrective action by Santa Claus. Hey, there you go. So, I mean, this is a beautifully done study. It's a survey um, and it is, it is retrospective. You're right. You have a cohort and you don't really have a control group because <laughs> we're not bastards. Now, but it's a beautifully the, done study. Santa like Claus it. was not the only non-clinical visitor to pediatric wards. Twenty-three different fictional and non-fictional characters also showed up. Of these, the most popular after Santa were elves, followed by soccer or footballers, soccer stars and footballers, pantomime yes, characters okay, because cool. tied for fifth was firemen. And Elsa from Frozen. <laughs> Just Elsa. <laughs> oh, of course it's now, time. Santa Claus does not discriminate against children based on country or region. So, for example, uh, the authors hypothesized Santa would be seen more in Wales and Scotland as they're further north and this is a better climate for reindeer. So, distance 
distance from the North Pole was not a factor that influenced whether or not Santa visited a hospital and confirmed the belief that he's not limited by distance, time, space, and is capable of delivering gifts across the globe within a 24-hour period. Yeah, guys, I mean, come on. There's there's a magic elf with a magic reindeer and a magic sleigh. You can't, you know, this isn't, this guy isn't subject to the laws of physics. Yeah, and... Get out of here now. The And it's the author's experience that most children rarely voluntarily admit to being naughty. So they looked, they looked at two indicators of child naughtiness, which is primary school absenteeism and conviction rates in young people. And these are both pretty difficult to set as judge, you know, objective metrics. Sure. Especially because they're being, they're being reported, right. right? Nobody's actually looking at these kids' uh, actual... Right. So there's no significant associations with either indicator, which suggests that the nice or naughty myth can be dispelled, at least based on this study. But future research should really attempt to get better individual level estimates of naughtiness to confirm. If you don't have the right metrics here, what are we talking? Surprising and a little bit disappointing finding. The most important finding that this study noted is that Santa Claus is less likely to visit hospitals in deprived areas. So he doesn't care if you're naughty or nice, but apparently he does care a little bit if you're poor. (laughs) This is something, sadly, I could have predicted. Kind of stepping away from the fantasy a little bit. If your hospital is wealthy enough uh, and in a type of community where lots of donations come in and, you know, people kind of the community steps up to the plate and gives gifts so that they can be distributed to the kids. Um, then, you know, you can actually play Santa and elves and bring everybody in. But if your hospital doesn't have the cash to do this kind of a program, then you're going to rely on whatever volunteers are available around Christmas time. And you can imagine how busy Santa Clauses are. uh, Now, before you all jump on the bandwagon and start assuming Santa's part of the current Republican administration in Congress, one possible (laughs) theory for why children in deprived areas have it worse is that Santa Claus, unfortunately, is forced to sustain existing inequality as contractually he can't change anyone's socioeconomic status. Why? Because giving children presents beyond their means, like cars a new house if you wanted to just hand them a cash like one of those big bags so, with the so if santa gives children pr- this could result in santa claus gaining political power and therefore causing widespread discontent basically everybody would attempt to be colluding with the north pole this would run directly contrary to the primary mission <laughs> statement of the north pole which is of course the deliverance of cheer and holiday joy <laughs> So so what you're basically saying is that there are rules in place where you can't get these little kids absolutely everything that they want. You, you absolutely. Have to so let's still encourage everyone oh. to be good for goodness's sake. So that is <laughs> it for you. our Christmas Journal Club. Now, much like Santa's elves, Santos and I have been working very hard this holiday season to put out and produce not only this episode, but all the stocking stuffers. So we are going to take a well-deserved break, and we'll be back sometime in middle of January. You got to stay healthy. Wash your hands and get your flu shot. We'd love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Links to do that 
also in the show notes. We'd love for you to leave us ratings and reviews. It makes a wonderful Christmas gift for us, and it can even be a New Year's resolution. Interact with Travel Medicine Podcast more. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Ledger. This show is produced by Dr. Santosh and myself with a lot of help from all of our friends at the North Pole and around the globe. And until next time, as always, happy Hanukkah, happy holidays, happy Festivus, Merry Christmas, and until next time, happy travels. Bye, guys. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.